Welcome to our podcast, We Got the Nod. A new and bold internet radio show designed for those who are on a conscious path of awakening. We are here to uplift and inspire you, to share practical tools and techniques to assist you stepping into your highest expression as spirit having a human experience. We will get raw and real, sharing kundalini yoga, music, poetry, and mantra, and so much more. Let us open our hearts and minds to our true potential, making the impossible possible, the surreal real. Let's begin. We're back with another episode we got the nod internet radio very special episode for me it is the third in a three-part series on the subject of suicide very special guest Ioni Love will be joining me on this final episode to share some of her story with the conscious suicide ceremony as well as other sharings on this theme of suicide. She will be sharing some poetry as well. So without further ado, let's join Ioni Love in this edition of We Got the Nod, Suicide Series Part 3. We got the nod, gotta have that nod. I am very pleased to have with me tonight for this third and final installment of the Suicide Series, very dear friend, student, Ioni Love, to speak with me about suicide and specifically about the conscious suicide ceremony. Welcome to the show, Ioni Love. Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Uh, you're in Florida right now, in Fort Myers, correct? Yes, in Fort Myers, Florida, um, at a, a place where I'm uh, living and working, uh-huh. a metaphysical shop and a, a wellness center for meditation and uh, peace activities, peace events and things like that. Great. Yes, you've been quite active um, in these years. I'll, I'll tell the audience that we, we've started working together in 2013. So we're celebrating seven years, this friendship, this connection. And, and since returning to Florida, it's been a few years now, you've been very much engaged with metaphysical work, healing practice, yes? Uh, yes, I'm doing uh, healing energy work, uh, foot detoxes, uh, things like this. Uh, working up, most of my work actually has turned into a form of of coaching, and basically stems from really holding space and listening to people, whether it's for them to vent and and just express what they need to express, or to uh, figure something out, you know, address a problem, um, address a, a, a situation that they're going through that might be feel, you know, upsetting or threatening and um, come to some sort of revolution and uh, resolution. And basically uh, I, I hold space and just sort of allow it to come through and work with their energy. I would say that um, besides working with some, besides working with some skilled teachers like myself, perhaps your, the greatest training you have in this regard is as a mother and now grandmother, yes? Uh, that sure did give me years of experience, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> my, my kids always said if they needed something, they would go to their dad. If they needed someone to listen, they would come to mom. 
And uh, so I was uh, one that was always available to hear what they had to say and uh, have a place in their lives. And, and uh, so, yes, that carries through. And, and many years down the road, I'm able to expand that and, and mm -hmm. uh, open up to more people. Well, I can attest to this, of course, because we worked together um, extensively over a period of two summers and then some. And I can say wholeheartedly that you are one of the best listeners that I ever came across as a student. It's like, it was a privilege and an honor to work with someone who is so receptive. I think that's part of a big part of the reason why we had such success and, and fun together. Do you agree? Uh, yes, I agree. Um, in order to uh, do healing, shadow work, healing of, of this kind, one has to be willing to dive deep and also to not hesitate. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so uh, being willing to listen, being willing to follow instruction, Mm -hmm. uh, being, like you said, receptive uh, to things that are beyond the normal scope of um, the, the daily life I was living at the time, for sure. Um, mm -hmm. Well, I like to say that it's rare, um, because it is, to, to find a student like yourself who is not only receptive, but trusting, the, the trust that you showed time and time again with me uh, in some outrageous circumstances <laughs> that you were still able to trust. And in order to go as deep as you did leading up to this profound suicide ceremony, yes? Yes. And uh, Spirit had said from the time you picked me up at the Montreal airport, that I could trust you mm. and I believed it. <laughs> I <laughs> believed it. Um, I, I, it's very hard for me to explain it other than that, because mm. it wasn't so much that you did anything or, or convinced me. It wasn't like that. It was just, I knew that I could trust what you were doing. I could trust the process. And mm. um, I knew I was, was uh, supposed to be there. Uh, for an important purpose. So, um, you know, that, that faith and trust and uh, mm -hmm. it, it allowed us to go to some, you know, very amazing and life-transforming spaces, you know? Yes. I'm yeah. grateful. You helped me to give real shape and structure to my work <laughs> as a, a shaman, as a facilitator, and, and developing and honing what I call the, the holy trinity of ceremonies. Do you want to speak about that from your own experience? Yes. Um, it, it, it's interesting because when you presented uh, the holy trinity, you presented it in such a way that I know a lot of people shied away from because it brought up a lot of taboos. And one was that you have to kill your mother and kill your father. And I understood what you were saying, that I had to kill off the old beliefs that had been instilled in me through from when I was born or, or even past lives, that all of these old belief systems that they taught me, the things that I may have believed that they felt about me or expressed about me, um, not me in particular, but if someone was to tell their child, you'll never go anywhere, you're stupid, you'll never amount to anything. If a child hears that often enough, they'll believe it. And these are the kind of belief systems that have to be killed in order for us to move forward and to transform. So I, I understood that. And we had ceremonies for killing my mother and my father that were, as it turned out, they were so full of humor. Um, <laughs> they, were, they were full of passion and emotion and intensity. And then humor would roll in through the middle and we'd end up gut laughing. 
Fabulous memories. Yes, at at just the details that came Mm -hmm. out in the way we made it bloody and and mm-hmm. uh, and had such finality they weren't coming back from that you know <laughs> it was really really yeah. amazing and in in creating that um, psychodramatic form of expression it gave me a visual that i could work with even after that and it gave me a, a method of being able to express these things without feeling guilty. Great. Without feeling like, oh my God, I can't kill my father. I can't kill my mother. That kind of thing. Yes, I know we could speak quite a bit about psychodrama. I'm going to limit that to some degree, partially because uh, we have another series, another trilogy of podcasts on the theme of psychodrama, also on on. We got the nod podcast. Perhaps I'll invite you to share more on on your psychodrama experience in the future. Um, suffice to say that the the first two elements, components of that holy trinity that you mentioned, the killing the mother and the father, in my experience, have to precede the the final, the third ceremony, which was the case with you. Yes, both both my mother and father ceremonies. Uh, I believe it was all within a few days that my, yeah. I killed my mother, killed my father, and then was faced with killing myself. It was beautiful. I, I remember too. I think the 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 killing of the parents yes happened within a twenty four hour period thereabouts. And then the, the conscious suicide happened about six days, I think less than a week later. Of course, we didn't plan it because you can't plan these things, can you? No, my experience is that it mostly caught me by surprise whenever a ceremony was coming. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wrote a poem called Tricky Shaman. <laughs> So that I was always <laughs> caught off guard, which is part of shamanic work. Um, you know, that's the magic. Uh, it's unexpected. Yeah. It's, I can't plan for it. So, yes, I did teach you a little bit about timing, didn't didn't I? Exactly. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the elements of surprise. Well, I know you you wrote some poetry. Um, would you like to share some of the poetry that came? through as a result of doing these ceremonies and, and maybe give a little introduction, a little backstory with the, for the poetry that you want to share with us. Yes. Uh, the poem I'd like to share is one that I wrote a few days after my own conscious suicide. And this ceremony took us to a, uh, a large field. And in this field which was out in the middle, you know, headed towards a river out in the middle of nowhere. At one end of the field, there was a phone booth. I hadn't even seen a phone booth in years, (laughs) (laughs) except for a a trilogy of movies that we had been uh, watching and working with the ideas of, which was the Matrix, Matrix trilogy. And, of yes. course, in, in the first film of The Matrix, Trinity uh, has a very important scene where she has to, in order to get out of The Matrix, has to make a mad dash for a phone booth as an 18-wheeler was headed at breakneck speed directly <laughs> at her. <laughs> it's, it's, almost the, it's almost almost the opening scene. It's very cl- very soon into the, into the first episode. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so here we are. And I know that, that, you know, we are going to do a ceremony and I'm going to kill myself. And here's this scene. And uh, you looked at me and told me, run. <laughs> <laughs> and I took off across that field and dashed inside this phone booth, which was waist high with grass. And you said, call anybody that you care about to tell them that you're going to die and say goodbye to them. 
And I, I, you know, of course, <laughs> put in my dime and called my kids and I talked to them and told them how much I loved them. And then you set me loose in this field at twilight, which had grass and thorns higher than my head. And I walked to the river and you took my car keys in case you never saw me again. And I was left to go kill myself. <laughs> the in the way I felt best. <laughs> yes. The timing was perfect because I, I, I remember that uh, the last contact where I left you was very high grass it felt like we were consumed by this kind of jungle N neither of us knowing the trains we it was a new place for both of us and then coming back to get your keys and your belongings just in case <laughs> um and of course the timing it was twilight light was descending very quickly at that point as well which was important wasn't it Yes, it was. Uh, the, you know, darkness was coming soon. So timing was a factor for me to see the river or with no street lights, no flashlight, no nothing. It would have been very dark. So I was, you know, going to wander in the dark if I, I didn't move on it. And I would like to back up and say something, if that's okay. Yes. When we started from the car, I have this in, in the, my journal of that day. When we started from the car, we parked in front of a barred gate that said no trespassing. It was very prominently displayed. And mm -hmm. we, of course, of course, ignored it and started down a trail. And we came across a sign that said hat trick. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so fitting for the third you yeah. know, the most rare, the hat trick of death, I called it. The holy hat trick. <laughs> the holy hat trick. It was so perfect. <laughs> and if memory serves, I think there was a number, too, maybe at the, the, at the first sign that was significant as well. If I can't remember what the number was, but I think there was something else. There were so I, many synchronicities yeah. that day. Incredible. Yes, yes. Incredible. I didn't write that down, but you, I, it sounds familiar, so you're probably right about that. Yeah. So yeah, so uh, I I I did kill myself, and um, I I flat dove into a foot of water with jagged rocks in it. Yes, I wanted and, to, to uh, yeah. just say something about that because here's here's the part where, just to say something about psychodrama. <laughs> To make imaginary circumstances real, we, we I think you, you were able to do that because we, in other psychodrama, many of the exercises we, we did previous to that, it was more in your imagination, which, which can be equally powerful when it's, you know, when it's really felt. But, and in this case, as with a few others, but especially this very all-important ceremony you've very much made it real and also in terms of the the danger right to make a suicide ceremony real there has to be that element of danger like i could really die yeah yes yeah there has to be that that uh commitment to um to the experience of it mm -hmm. So the risk helps make that commitment very real. And we're so glad that you made it through. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I, I came up out of the water reborn. There is a, mm -hmm. in this, in the death rebirth cycle of a conscious suicide, uh, this is an experience that one could repeat over and over again, really, at, yeah. at different stages of, of uh, transformation. And with each one, the death is, is excruciating, you know, to, to contemplate. Uh, tr you could tremble in fear and, and eventually have to face that wall of that fear and do it anyway. And... Yeah. 
the rebirth on the other side of that wall mm-hmm. is so amazing and so wonderful. Mm-hmm. And it, it becomes kind of an addictive cycle to, to, uh, mm-hmm. to transform, you know, to continue on the path. Um, yeah. yeah. Yes, because there, there can be, even after having such a profound experience, there could still be a tendency to return at some point to complacency, right? To forget that that feeling of aliveness, yeah? Yeah. Really yes. confronting death and, yeah? Yes. And that is what is in my poem that came a few days later. Talk okay, about please. that aliveness. Yes, yeah. please share the poem with us. Okay. Uh, this poem, shortly after this experience, I left, uh, I left the um, New Dawn re- Retreat in Quebec, and I uh, was led to go to Burlington, Vermont. And Spirit told me, go to Burl- Burlington, Vermont, and go to the park where we had been before, and put out a picnic blanket and sit on the blanket. Mm-hmm. And I did, I followed that to the letter. And I sat on the blanket and immediately this poem came through and I wrote it down in, in like three minutes. It, it just, you know, wrote itself mm. and spirit told me to um, see that man over there, ask him if he wants to hear your poem. <sighs> and I said, Oh really? You know, I mean, I don't know, you know, in my mind, I, I argued this, ask him. So I, I did, I asked him and he said, well, I've just been doing yoga and I need to find a restroom. So I'm sorry. And I said, okay. And you know, I, I, I laughed it off. 20 mm-hmm. minutes later, he rode back on his bicycle and said, I came back to hear your poem. Oh. And this person is the one that found me a, a hostel to stay in for the night and walked me all around Burlington and showed me where everything was. So it was very, very interesting how that worked. Mm, beautiful. But, I want to ask you, just to, yeah. to interrupt, um, you often speak about spirit. I think for our listeners, especially as it relates to psychodrama, the work that we do, School of Nod, how does spirit appear to you? How do you see, how do you feel, hear spirit? I, I have, uh, I, I'm going to stumble over the words. Um, all my life, I believe I've felt an inner guidance and an inner direction. Um, Mm -hmm. often I ignored the voice because it sounded like my voice. Mm. And I remember at one point, uh, back in 2007, I started through a four-way intersection and uh, it, it, w- it was my turn to go, and all of a sudden I saw a truck barreling toward my side of the car and not Break stopping. Breakneck speed. Breakneck speed again. <laughs> <laughs> and I heard a loud voice in my head that said, floor it. I jammed my foot on the accelerator, and it brought me inches ahead by the time he hit me. And after they loaded me into an ambulance, the officer came in and he said to me, you're alive by this much. And he held up his fingers about two inches apart. And because I had floored it and not put the brake on and listened to that voice. So that made me understand that I, it really bothered me actually for a while, you know, where had that come from? And it was very powerful and it obviously had had a profound effect on my current condition. So I began to listen and uh, open to trusting that voice. Mm -hmm. And when I came up to work with you in Quebec, I had a lot of opportunities to like hone that and Mm -hmm. um, really, uh, we called it finding my muse. Um, is it is another word that we used and so when I say spirit it's higher guidance it's my higher self do you, often, um, do you still hear a voice or is it more a feeling or does it change it, it changes from time to time it's not always the same mm-hmm. and often I, I could argue with myself that it's my own voice 
And mm-hmm. yet I'm learning the subtle differences when it's coming from something that I think I want to do versus something that I really am to do uh, mm-hmm. or be or, or follow, you know? Yes. Um, and it's not always, it's not always the uh, most rational voice. I was uh, told to stop and pick up a hitchhiker when I was in Pennsylvania. Um, and I stopped and I gave a hitchhiker a ride, which I've never done in my life. Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, I drove him right to his house. And um, <laughs> he... Uh, had been on a spiritual retreat of shamanism in Hawaii. And we discussed shamanism the whole way, and it was perfectly aligned with messages I needed to hear and messages he needed to hear. And yet, if my mom knew I did that, she would kill me right now. (laughs) (laughs) WGTN Guatemala. Today's podcast is brought to you by the School of Nod. International School of Kundalini Yoga, Nod Yoga, Psychodrama, and more. Founded by the dynamic soulmate duo Hariram and Satkirtan, the School of Nod offers unique and transformative online programs. Satkirtan and Hariram have between them 30 years' experience leading classes, workshops, kirtan, and retreats. For more information, go to www.schoolofnod.com. And now, back to the podcast. WGTN Guatemala. Okay, well, let, let's hear the poem. All right. So I, I titled the poem, The Leap. Unknown destiny, such a mystery. The mystery, the leap the place of free-fall ecstasy, total surrender to eternal source's grace. One taste, a red pill, a little swallow. Now I crave the mystery and leave behind the walls and rubbled wasteland of my history. Once left, I never can return to safety nets and life insured. One thing I know for certain, though, is that there will be life assured. Abundant life, all cells on fire, vibrant senses cross the line, from sane to crazy soul dance wonder, out of space and far from time. Mm, beautiful. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it says it's poured out of your pen in a matter of minutes. Yes, yes, without without conscious thought. I just Mm -hmm. wrote. Yeah. Well, it's worth noting because I remember when you when you first arrived at the New Dawn retreat in Quebec, you hadn't been doing much writing. Correct? That's very true. And by the time you left, you were creating some beautiful poetry and, and and journaling, journaling and so on. Yes. <laughs> yes, that was very interesting because when I believe the question you asked is is like who I saw myself as or what I, what um, what I saw myself doing or or I I can't remember the actual question, but it was uh, how I would describe myself. And I described myself in many ways. And you said to me, the one thing that you have not described yourself as that I see as your main, should be your main description, is a writer. Oh. And that really knocked me off guard because I had always loved to write as a child. I was known for my letter writing. Um, I was, had never been a writer of poetry before. And after that conversation, all of a sudden, poetry started just coming out. Mm-hmm. And some of it wasn't very good at the start. And, and you, you pretended to gag and throw up and <laughs> <laughs> keep me very humble. <laughs> <laughs> and I kept writing and it kept coming, even, even 
you know, with the uh, <laughs> the magnificent hurling. <laughs> I, kept, I kept writing. And, and then the I stopped poetry. hurling after a while. <laughs> yes, yes. Or, or the moment came and I was like, wow, she's really got something here. <laughs> yes, I remember that. Yeah. And, and I uh, should throw it in the fire, right? <laughs> and then, yes, after the conscious suicide, we had a ceremony. And uh, no, it was after we did 10 days of silence. Yes. After the 10 days of silence, it, during which poetry flowed and flowed and flowed through me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of your best we work. Took some of my best work, we sacrificed into the fire. Yeah, I remember that. And both of us, I had some good stuff too, I, I recall. And, and um, yeah, it was profound. And so I would say that was definitely one of the huge transitions that happened through doing all of these ceremonies leading up to and including the, the Holy Trinity that your, your writing skills reappeared and flourish really yeah yes yes um and when we were talking about uh suicide uh earlier i i had felt well i've never had those feelings growing up of of wanting to kill myself Mm -hmm. and yet during the transformative shamanic experience um and and uh I I wrote so many poems that had to do with suicide, with death and rebirth, with endings and beginnings, mm. uh, with with clearing the old. Um, do you have any examples that you could share now? Um, <laughs> well, I have I have uh, one that I wrote actually after. Mm-hmm. Um, after we we destroyed all of the um, the journals and and uh, mm-hmm. notes that we were keeping, and mm-hmm. we were also working with Kali energy ah. at that time, yes. and you know Kali Kali takes everything down to the foundation and yeah. and burns the ground and and, and mm-hmm. takes it all away so that something new can be created. Yes, and it, you know this involves. A huge amount of of uh, trust, it, <laughs> you know, to mm-hmm. uh, to take this journey, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote a poem called Kali, and it is uh, calling on my Kali friend. I cry out, "Let it burn!" She rises in her power, flaming torch in hand. As you wish, she hisses. Strange kindness I see as she lights molten hot infernos across my land. This love she offers is the finest, toughest kind. Her caress is with a two by four, it seems. Knocking sense into the senseless me, she ushers in my bliss, wakes me to the living dream. She was at first not my idea of a friend. Preferring honey to vinegar was my choice. Yet as I get to know her better, I feel her power, see her mercy, hear love in her shrieking voice. I watch burning orange embers fall around me. Can't get it back, my stuff is ashen dust. As far as I can see, there's nothing left. And she locks her eyes with mine and says, now, trust. Burn, Kali, burn, Kali, burn, Kali, burn. I dance in wild abandon around her blazing fire. And as her raging glory blinds me in the light, in ecstatic surrender, I fall upon her pyre. Mm. Beautiful. Your poem takes me back to New Dawn Retreat, where we did most of this work together. Um, countless fire ceremonies. Do you want to say anything about that, especially as it relates to the suicide theme, rebirth, long dark night of the soul? Fire ceremonies were always a, a very sacred and profound moment. Um, and it, it seems to me that we 
constantly had things that we were putting into and offering into the fire, taking the old and, and turning it into the new. Um, and with each of these suicides, no matter what hour of the night um, the suicide took place, we honored it with a sacred fire afterward. Yes. Yeah, it's worth saying. Um, so I think in, in also the killing of your parents, there, as I think in, in my experience, usually it, there is more than one ceremony required. You, even if the first one is highly successful, the the parent, the ghost might return. Yes. Yes. Yes, and I remember with uh, killing my dad, we had uh, recurrences uh, coming back. Uh, my, my dad had passed in the flesh just the summer uh, that my first summer uh, at the New Dawn Retreat, I had to go back uh, because he passed. And so there were, there were things that kept coming back. And so what we did was we, we set um, a wolf at the at the entrance so that it would take care of my dad if he started to come back and it would rent him in pieces <laughs> it was going to be bloody and ghastly <laughs> yeah so so when you mentioned have a repeating suicide theme in fire ceremonies can you be more specific please in what context um, are you referring to as far as um are you talking about your with, own suicide or um well many ceremonies whether it was my father my mother i had to kill my mother more than once as well yeah um and there were ways there was generally something that we would offer that maybe had some connection to um one of them that I would use as an offering into the fire um, mm. that it would represent and, and, and sometimes be a bit of a sacrifice to give it up. You know, it would be yes. a memento or, or something that I, that mm. I would have given value to. And mm. um, you know, in, in shamanic ceremony, this, this is a way mm. to create a, a, a sacrifice of something as a gift in order to, um, to pass through, like a, to pass through to the other side of that experience. Well, it's interesting that we are interchanging suicide with killing of the parents because they are very much related, aren't they? To kill, to kill the mother and what she represents is in a way killing oneself, isn't it? Well, in, in yes, because I am also a mother. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's that uh, maiden mother crone are all intertwined. Yeah. Yes. And uh, as as now a crone, um, I have children and grandchildren, and I see myself in each of their positions. So I have not passed on and given away all of those things, but I'm encompassing all three. And mm. so when I kill my mother. Um, I am also mother. And I, it brings me to a point of understanding and acceptance and forgiveness um, because I stand in her place too. Yes. Uh, you know, I have made the decisions and the choices that I have second guessed. Um, I have had my children misunderstand me and I have misunderstood my children. So with all of these things that I, I see from a different perspective now, um, I'm able to facilitate healing, you know, through these ceremonies. Hmm. And what, what I, oh, I'm go, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. Um, I was just going to say what I have noticed is that my relationship after I killed my mother in ceremony mm -hmm. changed. Yes, yes, that's With, what I wanted to touch on. Um, that's one of the ways that clear, tangible ways that we can see the success of the ceremony is how it affects that relationship. It's, it's real, it's tangible, isn't it? Yes, it is. 
it uh, the the tension and stress that was in our relationship just mm-hmm. dissolved, completely mm-hmm. dissolved. Mm-hmm. And we now uh, relate to each other on an equal level, rather than me feeling that I have to um, be the child in the relationship, and without her feeling, she has to be the mother. And it's it's really become quite a beautiful relationship now. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. Well, in wrapping up, in terms of the conscious suicide, did you want to say anything more about that, how that has changed you, your relationship with yourself, with the world, and so on? Uh, yes. I mean, once again, just like we have to kill our parents more than once quite often, mm-hmm. I've had to kill myself more than once yes every every time and and really we could do this every day we could Mm -hmm. kill ourselves and be reborn every single day um every time we face an old belief that that maybe it's a year old maybe it's a lifetime ago but every time we face that and we push through that wall of fear that's just it's paper thin wall but we think it's we run from it for years we turn mm-hmm. and face it and we push through that wall of fear. We allow that old to die. And then we have that rebirth on the other side with a new understanding. And that transforms the life continually, continuously. Perhaps you can still hear, hear my rattles, the drum, right? the signal. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I would get up in the morning and, and come to your chalet for breakfast. And I would say, oh, I had a dream last night. And I'd hear, rattle, 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 tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) Before you know it, we're into a psychodrama. Exactly. (laughs) Um, I wanted to ask you, because I I wanted to touch on, for this final episode in the three-part series, uh, Paula's altar. Uh, There are very Mm. few people that I invited to Paula's altar, sacred altar on the mountain. You were one of them. Do you have anything, any memories you want to share about Paula's altar? Oh, that was the place of of many ceremonies and offerings and uh, sometimes simply times gone to just spend time with her. And I, I felt a special connection with her uh, as you told me, she and I share a birthday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, uh, her name is P-A-U-L-A, and mine is P-A-M-E-L-A. And <laughs> and you pointed out at the time, take out the U and put in me. <laughs> <laughs> take out the U in Paula and put, it, put the M-E and you've got Pamela. And uh, yeah. so I, I always felt a very close connection. Mm-hmm. And of course... Uh, talking with you about her and understanding, mm-hmm. um, you know, her her life and and uh, the special place that that you held her in, mm-hmm. and um, the altar was just purely a sacred place. And we often mm-hmm. took our our favorite stones and and um, readings and 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 just spent time there with Paula. What a magical spot! Hmm? A very magical spot. Yes. Yeah, still very close to my heart. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Great. Okay. Um, yeah, I think we've got quite a bit here. Okay. Could go on, but maybe, uh, yeah, I could definitely see an opportunity, even with the psychodrama, because we haven't done, we haven't finished that series either. Maybe we, can, ah. we can, maybe we can bring you back on to talk a little bit about psychodrama, if you like. Great. Sure. <laughs> You've created yeah. a monster. <laughs> <laughs> a podcast <Yeah>. monster. <laughs> oh, thank you. That was great. Okay. Let me, okay, let me ask. Yeah, because I know, Ioni, you spoke about some friends who were troubled with thoughts of suicide and and you went through a process of having to support someone and well, would you like to speak about that a little bit? 
Uh, yes. Um, I had a very close friend. And when I first met him, our first conversation, he told me that uh, he had a problem with his own mother and that his mother had actually at one time uh, advised him to go kill himself. And of course, I thought, how horrible for a mother to say to their child. And in the years that I spent time with him and got to know him, at least six times, he said to me, I've had it, I'm going to kill myself. Uh, he'd break up in a relationship or something would go wrong in his life. And his go-to response was, I'm going to end it all. And every time he did that, his friends would rally around and I was one of them. And we would, you know, calm him down and make him feel better and give him positive encouragement. And he moved away and got in another relationship and it didn't work out. And he started calling me in the middle of the night, uh, three, four, five o'clock in the morning. I've picked out my suit. I'm going to kill myself. Uh, it's, this, I mean it. And so finally, my, my inner guidance or spirit said to me, you are enabling him and you're, you've become his pacifier. He ha will never face his dark night of the soul and come through to the other side as long as you are uh, comforting him and making it easy. And this is very difficult because mm -hmm. all my life I was raised that if someone said, I'm going to kill myself, take them seriously. And in most cases, I would say, yes, if you've met somebody and they say this and you don't know their, their MO, uh, then mm -hmm. yes, I would say that. But in this case, I had heard this so many times and recognized this pattern. And so I was advised uh, to back off and, and let him face it. And it was very hard to say to him, we were very close friends. And for me to say to him that spirit wants me to back off so that you can handle this and go through a dark night of the soul. Um, he stopped talking to me. He unfriended me. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> the, the worst of all calamities. And, uh, and, all I know is, you know, through public Facebook posts, I know he's alive and well. Um, I am not sure how far he came in his dark night of the soul. He has not reached out to me to say, I understand why you did what you did. So I have no way of knowing where he's at. But when it comes to family and friends that we love, it's very easy to become an enabler and to coddle people and to uh, adjust our lives to accommodate um, these, these suicidal thoughts. And um, yes, if it's somebody that is serious and you can recognize that, mm. then yes, take it seriously, of course. And, and yet also check in constantly. Am I enabling in yes. this, this feeling, this sensation or behavior? Yeah. Like the boy who cried wolf. Yes. And from my viewpoint, this was an important lesson for you in, in reclaiming your power and shifting from that enabler role that you play, you have played so well in your life. You know? Yes, as a mother and a grandmother, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, being nurturing is second nature. Yes. yes. And so, yes, and that, and be, there's nothing wrong with being a nurturer, but an enabler. Mm -hmm. uh, does not help solve a problem. I, I spoke about the, the long dark night of the soul at more length in the second part of this series. And what would you say uh, in closing you've learned through this particular story and your own about the, the long dark night of the soul and its importance uh, what comes to mind immediately when you ask me that question is one of your own songs. Mm. Um, uh, it's, I believe you call it the Lonesome Valley. Yes. And it's about uh, when you come to the long, dark night of the soul, you have to go through it alone. Mm -hmm. um, you have to, there's no hand-holding or, or uh, uh, anyone that can walk it with you you have to face yourself and the only one that can face yourself is you it's true right as you learn this is this is 
the key difference between the the first two ceremonies in that Holy Trinity. I I could be there with you as you were disposing of your parents, cutting those ties. However, the final ultimate conscious suicide, you had to be alone, yes? Yes, that's why you set me loose alone and took my car keys. (laughs) (laughs) so imagine my my glee (laughs) when you came and found me later that evening in the dark (laughs) i relieved that was a joyous reunion yes it was yes (laughs) so glad that uh, we've we've kept in touch all these years since and that uh, you were able to share with me tonight these beautiful stories. Thank you so much. Oh, Um, thank you so much for having me on and and letting me share my story. These are some really precious memories to me and and still are my teachers today as I go through every every, uh, unveiling of something new in my life. So thank you. Mm. So our thanks to Ioni Love for joining us on this sacred theme, the conscious suicide, for our third and final installment of this suicide series. Until next time. Satnam. We are deeply grateful for Ioni Love joining us on this sacred episode part three of the suicide series thank you Ioni for sharing in such a an open and revealing way your sacred journey into the shadow and coming through the long dark night of the soul with such courage and conviction and to honor your sharing I will share that song that you mentioned in the interview the one that I shared numerous times with you and others from the traditional gospel song called The Lonesome Valley
I can hear myself because I am pure love. I can hear myself because I am pure love. Wrapping up this suicide series, I would like to say a few things about Paula, my dearly departed sister, we spoke about in each of the three episodes. I'm deeply indebted to her memory, her spirit. She's a guide for me still to this day. She helped me to connect with the spirit world in a real way, in a rare way. And discovering that altar that we spoke about in this last episode is one of the most profound moments in my life and poetic ways to connect for me to connect the, the spirit world with Pachamama, with Mother Earth, in this sacred triangular altar space on the side of the mountain in Quebec, a V-shaped altar where I spent many profound moments, often alone, or with special friend, student, where on many occasions I felt Paula's presence in profound ways <clears throat> through the elements, the wind, the rain sometimes would fall gently, um, sunlight filtering through the, the pine trees and the spruce and sometimes the call of coyote, perhaps wolf, and the winged ones, the birds, that sacred forest. Paula, I am indebted to you forever. Thank you for being a guide, and dear soulmate throughout this journey. Blessed be Satnam Waheglu
Share the nod. So, if you like what you hear, please do not hesitate to share with your friends, family, and community. Sat na.